Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Estás escuchando Échale Podcast, a podcast where we embrace our Latinidad. The good, the bad, the ugly. You love English? Te encanta el español? Well, we got a whole lot of Spanglish. A storytelling podcast. And like my mom used to say, Échale, mijo, que tú puedes. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Échale Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Quintero. Y el día de hoy, I'm really excited to have him back because he was on... Uh, the podcast back when it was called Salud Podcast, but I'm excited to bring back Morris, one of my fraternity brothers and also like an expert in everything that there is to know about like, well, my expert. I know you wouldn't say you're an expert <laughs> on like finance y todo ese rollo, but how are you? No, I, good, good. Happy to be back. You know, I, I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but definitely I would say that uh, uh, I wish to be. <laughs> uh, at least I'm starting to get to that point where I'm, I'm trying to learn as much as I can. Uh -huh. But uh, so I can, you know, assist those around me. But yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not there yet. Yeah, well, it's, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and speak for myself and I'm probably going to speak for everybody that's in um, the Financial Predator, which is your private group on on Instagram that the, we've all benefited. We've kind of formed like a little community and we've all passed resource and knowledge back to each other, like back uh, to each other. And there's... Yeah. No gatekeeping, which is amazing to see. And any questions that we all have, somebody for sure has the answer or will research the answer like yourself. So I, I appreciate that. And I'm pretty sure everybody in that group chat appreciates it. Entonces, gracias por eso. No, you're welcome. You know, it's like something I wanted to do, just create a group where people could find out the ideas or get their questions answered without having to go through pay for any kind of paywall for groups or, or these kind of universities that are popping up online and on Discord. So I want to just create a, a small community for free for people to just ask questions. And if I have the answer, I'll try to respond it. If someone else has it, then they will share their experience as well. Wow. And yeah, I mean, it's like a, like a tip for tat. We all help each other there. Yeah, no, realmente sí, para eso es. So for today's uh, podcast, I definitely want to go ahead and talk about the stock market. I want to talk about cryptocurrency. I want to talk about the housing market 2023 and obviously what this week has in store for us, uh, just because I feel like it is a very important week, as you've been mentioning for like the past couple months. But before we get started into that, I want to get to know you a little bit better. I know we've talked about it in previous podcast, but I want to get the people that are listening an opportunity to get to know El Salvadorian dentro de ti. <laughs> so you grew up in El Salvador. You migrated to the United States. At what age? Yeah, I was 10. I was 10 when I moved back to, well, when I moved for the first time to Long Beach, California. Uh -huh. do, do you have any recollection of, of El Salvador y viniendo a los Estados Unidos? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, 
I remember when we were coming, you know, like there was a lot of issues in El Salvador. We, my parents, you know, they just recently had lost the house. Well, not lost the house, but they were selling it because we couldn't finish paying for it. So, you know, it was like either we sell what we have because we're not going to make payments and move or take it and become homeless. You know, yeah. <laughs> and that's the idea. So both of the companies where my parents worked, they closed, they went bankrupt. So they all of a sudden, both at the same time, um, they went through a, a recession. The United, I mean, the Calif- the El Salvador, as a country, went through a deep depression during the uh, late, early two thousands, wow. and that led to a lot of companies closing. So my parents were like, "Well, let's let's find a better a better future." And I remember my parents told me when before we were coming in that we were just gonna come and visit Disneyland. That uh, was that was the, the promise that they gave us in Morgan. <laughs> that was. That was the reason they they said like we were gonna come and visit the United States. We're gonna go to Disneyland and and meet Mickey and hang out with the cast of Toy Story. And that was because I was a big Toy Story fan as a kid. I had the movies and DVD and and in VHS at that time. And, and we're like, yeah, yeah, we were happy. Like, see Disneyland, I'm gonna see Disney and Mickey. And we got on. I noticed that my parents put a lot of our clothes. Like we were supposed to just be here for two weeks. Wow. But we had clothes for you know a whole month. So we're like, oh, that's surprising. You know, we're going to have lots of clothes. And they brought a bunch of stuff that they had and a bunch, like it was a lots of baggage. So, um, yeah, we, we went through, you know, the, the the airport and immigration process. And when they asked us, you know, where we were coming, we're like, oh, yeah, we're going to Disney. We're going to Disney. <laughs> uh, little did we know that after the two weeks that this was going to be a permanent thing. Like my parents had already sold the house they had gotten um all the cash while we were the first week that we were here in the united states and basically you know they were like well we're staying here and we're leaving and and we're basically gonna become uh, uh, americans or immigrants in a way yeah pretty much was there any like pushback from you and do you have any siblings older younger yeah, I have one. So his name is Carlos. He's a younger sibling. And I mean, for both of us, in the beginning, you know, it was like, oh, it was just rosy because we were visiting a whole new country. The first two weeks were amazing. We went to Disneyland. Um, we explored uh, L.A. We went to downtown L.A. to look at the stars, the Walk of Fame, you know, and we went through, um, what's the name, the, the Hollywood... Um, well, to do all the Hollywood stuff. Yeah. So we did all the… the touristy. The, the, yeah, all the touristy kind of things. We got on the bus to go on the Hollywood tours and do those things. So, yeah, I mean, in the beginning it was fun. But then, you know, after two weeks, we were like, okay, mom, we're ready to go. You know, because yeah, we, we were staying at my uncle's. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, we were staying at my uncle's. And he pretty much, uh, we pretty much, my mom said like, oh, no, we are not going back. And that's when, in a way, we found out that we were going to stay here for the, at least for the long term. Mm, okay. But you guys didn't say like, yo, I'm I'm done with the United States. Ya me quiero regresar. I already want to go back. In a way, you know, I guess the biggest thing and the biggest issue that we did experience was the language barrier. Like having a conversation with our cousins um, that were not really, really our blood cousins. They were cousins by family friends, you know. So my uncle is at least the uncle that we had at the time because uh, his, his, we're we stretched now. Mm-hmm. We're separated because of a lot of family issues that were back in the day. Typically happens. But uh, he was, 
Yeah, yeah, basically. So he was the cousin of my mom's cousin. So it was like almost second removed cousins. And, yeah. you know, in, in Latin countries, we called everybody that's somewhat related an uncle or a, a primo or, sí. or, or familia. Sí. Dang. Okay, that's interesting. And then when your parents arrived here in the United States, you said this, you guys came in on visas or how was that? Because I know for a lot of families migrating to the United States, obviamente it gets complicated nowadays. Uh, and back in the days, was it easier? I guess it was easier. We came through a visa, so we had okay. permission to be here. We had permission to um, visit as tourists and stay here for a max six months. You know, I think mm -hmm. that was the, the limit for any tourist coming from El Salvador to stay as a tourist. Um, but of course, we overstayed. So, yeah. but of course, back in the day, there was like no follow up. They were not taking your fingerprints. Yeah. They were not uh, uh, putting you in a database as of, of uh, as a tourist database where they would have to find out and call back the point of contact that you put in your in your tourist visa. So in a way, it was easy to kind of overstay back in the early 2000s. So when you were growing up, when did you realize like, oh, this was an issue that you didn't have um, legal status? I mean, yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, in the beginning, we didn't know. Of course, we, we our parents, you know, kept us in the dark with that. We had no idea that we were undocumented. That yeah. The main thing that taught me or that showed me that I was, you know, at least here undocumented was when um, I started applying for, for scholarships in high school. Um, and that's when, you know, I, I was selected by my high school to be one of the the applicants for the Bill Gates scholarship. Um, wow, that's and awesome. it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. So it was one of those scholarships where if, only if you were a 4.0 student or a very good student, you could apply to because not many people get approved for it. So at least my high school, my counselor put me in the list and they, you know, they checked all the qualifications for the students and they saw the migrates fit and I could have been a good candidate for these scholarships. So they, my, my counselor called me in, she told me to come through uh, and gave me kind of like the 411 of what it is and what I needed to turn in. And of course, when she asked me like, oh, what's your social security? That's when mm. I, I was, I realized, you know, I, I never heard of that before. So that's when I went to my parents and I told them, hey, you know what's my social security? Because uh, they're, they're signing me up for this scholarship that's supposed to pay for all my schooling. Yeah. And, you know, they sat me down and they sat my brother down with me too because he was going to be a high school student next year. So he's four years younger than me. So pretty much I was a senior. He was barely a freshman coming into, coming into high school. So... Hey, yeah, they sat me down and they said, you know, um, uh, kids, you know, you don't have a social security. So we cannot really apply for those kind of scholarships. So at least you cannot apply for those scholarships. We need to find another way to pay for school. So I had to go to my counselors and, and tell them, you know, I don't have a social security. And of course, after that, they were like, oh, yeah, you can no longer apply or be selected to be a Bill Gates student. So it was it was tough. Yeah, and then the years after that, you know, more more stuff came out. Like, oh, you cannot go here, you cannot go there, you cannot travel, and later on, you know, it became like, oh yeah, I'm definitely here yeah. <laughs> without any kind of protection or, or permission. Yeah, did you ever start feeling some type of fear? Because uh, I'm assuming you yeah. you had to also apply via DACA, verdad? Yeah, 
Yeah. So at that time, of course, there was no DACA back in the day. Um, so I, I think DACA became a thing when I was already in college. Oh, wow. And okay. That's, yeah, yeah. So I was, in a way, I was an AB 540 student. Mm, yes. So that was where a student that could apply to a college as an in-state student. But there was no financial aid with that. You had to find your own financial backing or your own money to pay for school. And that's basically what I did. I applied to as many private scholarships that did not require social security as I, as I could. I applied to many. And of course, my parents also took loans wow. for me to go to college. So they they got themselves in debt for me and for my brother too. So it was, it was a hardship. It was definitely a little scary because you... Of course, my parents couldn't drive and they were driving. Mm -hmm. They were not supposed to, but they were driving. Yeah, so it was always that fear of like, if we get caught, it's, it's over for us. Wow. No, I didn't know that part. I mean, yeah. I, 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 you know, te das cuenta the struggles that people go through that are undocumented, that are on DACA, the realization as a child that like, oh, you know what? Mm -hmm. I don't have the same privileges, but why am I being... Why am I being treated so differently by society if I'm doing everything by the books? I mean, you're a 4.0 yeah. student. Your counselors were even like, yo, you're a perfect candidate for the Bill Gates scholarship. Uh, and obviously, back in the day, there was not that many resources como las hay ahora. Now, did you go to community college first or straight into Cal State Long Beach? Yeah, I went straight to Cal State Long Beach just mainly because back in the day also, they had this... Um, thing saying that if you were a Long Beach citizen or Long Beach resident, like you mm. reside in the city of Long Beach, you would get the first semester for free. Okay, like so a it LB was, promise. Yeah, it was yeah. basically the Long Beach promise. So yeah. they had it, they already had it back in the day. So I was, I think the second year where the that was already in place. So I was like, you know what? I'll At least I'll get six months of free schooling. If, if anything. Yeah. You read it the August of free, free six months. Uh, so that was my thought as a high school student. And I applied. Of course, I applied to many other schools. I applied to UCLA, UCI. I got into all of them. But then when I saw the prices, I was like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to Long Beach. Yeah. I'm going to stick to Long Beach. How much so, was annually? Um, for like annually, UCLA versus like Long Beach. So just so people can kind oh, yeah. of get an idea get of an what idea. you had to pay for. Um, and especially what a lot of students who are DACA undocumented and don't have these privileges have to pay for. Yeah, no, I remember seeing the numbers and doing the comparisons. And I saw that CSUOB, at least at that time, I don't know how it is now because of inflation and the huge increase in, in, in tuition. But back then in 2000. Nine, it was around six thousand, six thousand a year. Yeah, okay, similar to Kelsey San Bernardino, because we we yeah. we entered the same. <laughs> I just realized we entered the same year, two thousand nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're, we're both, I think, 31, 32. Oh, oh my god! Pero qué te iba a decir? And versus UCLA, because I, it's funny, I got accepted into Berkeley and I got accepted into UCR, but Cal State San Bernardino was yeah. just so much closer and I just didn't want to go far. But I remember yeah. like looking at even UCR, which was about the same distance as CSUSB, it was about another 15 grand more just because it's a UC. And then I can only imagine UCLA, uh, USC with the prestige that they have. 
Yeah, no, I think they were about the same. I feel like UCLA maybe had a little bit more of a price tag just because they do have the research mm-hmm. aspect to them and the big um, donations they get from all their sports and stuff like that. So I think UCLA goes around at that time, back in 2009, they were going for around 20000 yeah. a year. So, wow. yeah, big difference compared Six thousand to twenty thousand. Yeah. So I have a friend who is uh, was also on DACA. Yeah, ahora se arregló sus papeles. But I remember she. Uh, I didn't understand why she was working fourteen hours uh, a day in a restaurant. Why she was overloading with credits? Because obviously you can take as many credits because the same tuition applies. Like. Uh, you know, once you take 12 plus units, um, it's the same price tag. So she was always overloading. And I'm like, why are you doing like so much? I'm over here chilling, taking three, four classes. Obviously, I had to play catch up when it came towards the end of my year. But she ended up graduating in three years. And then I realized, well, she's not like, for me, it was a race against time and money. I needed to graduate as fast as I could in something that I liked, which she majored in Spanish and business, but also because if I added another year, that's another, like, I don't know, a grand Mm -hmm. to my bill. You know, was that the same case for you? Were you also like a race against time? Yeah, basically I was, in the beginning I did felt it because I was taking, I would say six, seven classes a semester, which is not recommended for any, uh, any, any career. So, yeah, in the beginning, of course, I noticed that if I was taking six classes a semester, I would notice my grades were suffering. And so then it was that either I finish fast and get my grades up or I, or, or, or get have really low grades or take it slower and have better grades. So I, I, I guess what helped me realize that is having a semester where I failed a lot of classes. Oh. Even though I, the first semester, I filled almost all my classes. I feel like the I first sem- calculus, yeah. science, physics. Yeah. And I fit, and I took as many classes as I could because I needed to get it done quick. Right. So. And you never changed your major? major? Oh, what was that? You never changed your major? Oh, no. Uh. So I, I kept the same major. So I entered as an engineer, a computer science engineer. And I stayed the same for the whole uh, well, I actually went five years to mm. for my degree, so I I stayed an extra year because of the the mess ups I did in my first semester and my second semester, which you know I was trying to get as much stuff done. So if I would have taken it slower, I would have maybe got it done in time. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I, I I had to lower at least pace myself later on. But uh, for sure, it was a little bit of a pressure to get that done as soon as possible because my parents were getting in debt. I didn't have enough money and, you know, prices were kept going up year by year. They were raising, I think that time they were starting to raise the prices of tuition almost like 200, 300, 400 a semester. Yeah. So it was starting to get added. I think that is a privilege that we don't understand or we don't realize when we're going in college. Just the privilege to change 
our major. I'm pretty sure a lot of people who are undocumented probably did change their major, but they did it a lot more aware that like, hey, I need to do it strategically. It, will these units roll over to this major? What will affect me? What will it not affect me? Because I changed my major five times. I didn't really have to worry about financial aid. I'm sure for someone like you, you if you wanted to change your major, you'd have to be like, well, I've already taken a year of uh, computer engineering classes. Like, yeah. what's going to happen if all of a sudden I do biology? That means I paid for these classes for nothing versus me that I went from chemistry to theater to communication. I just, those were all extra units. And, and I didn't, you know, like, uno no capta ese privilegio que tiene. So kudos to you. How was that financial burden on yourself? Because it was for five years as opposed to people who try to finish it fast. Yeah, you know, in a way, it was a, it, it, it did wait on me, uh, especially when uh, I noticed that my parents were also suffering because they were paying high interest rates because the loans that they got, because I couldn't apply to most loans yeah. at that time either. Um, I had to get a private loan from a private uh, bank like Bank of America and that's what my parents did so they got a personal loan at an interest rate at that time maybe around six seven percent of about twenty thousand and that's that helped me pay at least for two three years of college and the rest I paid it with scholarships that I had I got thousand here five hundred there uh, another thousand there so I, I think I ended up getting almost a whole semester paid in scholarships and then that guy I came in and that's when, you know, my parents, you know, they could start paying off the debt, avoid getting any more debts. And then DACA was helping me finish the last year of college. So the last year of college, that's when DACA got approved and I could apply and get the, the scholarships from the, the, the California, uh, the California um, Caldrance, I think. Oh, yeah. The Cal you know, the is that, the is that when you joined the fraternity, the last year in college? Yeah, that, that's <laughs> when, you know, like I was like, Okay, now I can take it easy. Yeah. Now I'm in a way protected. I have some cash that the state is giving me. I don't have to like work because I worked a lot. Uh-huh. Um, I, in the beginning, I worked as a painter. Then I worked in as a, once I got some knowledge and I had a we had a family friend that worked in the Long Beach Unified School District. She was able to give me as an engineer major a math tutoring mm-hmm. um, job in the in the Long Beach Unified School District. So I would go to schools and tutoring in math for any student that needed to stay extra hours. Um, it was a program some schools had where you could be a tutor for two hours after school ended, and 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 they would come to you and you could get paid at least minimum. Because in painting, you don't get paid minimum. You get paid for the amount of work you're doing. Oh. And it all depends on how work, how hard you work. Wow. Now let's start getting into the money. Because with those $20,000 that your mom and dad took out, um, uh, I'm pretty sure they're not like the student loans that I got. Where it's like, oh, your interest doesn't start occurring until six months after you graduate. The interest right, probably yeah. started occurring since the moment they pulled out the loan. So that $20,000 loan in two, three years, how big did it grow? Oh, it, it grew. Uh, I would say they tried, of course, to pay it as fast as they could, but they couldn't. Because, um, of course, interest rates in a personal loan start the month you take it off. So the moment you take it, the interest starts. So it doesn't matter if you don't get a job like with the... Um, I think they, they say once you graduate, six months, they give you six months for you to start getting uh, a job and then you start paying off the, the debt. So 
you know, with personal loans, you have to start right away. So it started to grow, especially back then. My parents didn't work too much uh, or didn't make too much. They worked a lot, but they didn't make too much. Um, my mom worked as in cleaning and my dad worked in a factory. So it was like they did minimum. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much they did minimum back in the day. So that became really expensive on them. Uh, of course, we waited a lot on our, our quality of life. So we couldn't do anything aside from, you know, having the occasional celebration with a cake for, for Christmas or for, uh, or for, for better birthdays. That was our, our main, um, main celebrations back in the day. But now things have changed, of course. So it's, we, they were able to pay it off because now they don't have to worry about me. I helped them pay it off too. I, I'm, and I tried as much to provide them with the easy, as easy of a life as possible now. So I, I helped them with some, some, some expenses with, uh, with, some some of the stuff now they're they're in a good spot my dad works a really good job where he gets paid a good amount and my mom doesn't even have to job anymore doesn't have to work anymore because we are grown-ups and my brother works and i work so in the end we pretty much um um we are in a way yeah. there from our parents now yeah now you're you're getting to realize like wow the american dream that people talk about but i'm sure like because of all these money wounds um you became a like you know uh you became a product of your environment you saw how interest rate mm -hmm. affects um your family how it affected you how money literally affected you as an undocumented okay. individual so when did you start getting into this fascination of money because obviously you're really great at math because you're you're an engineering major you tutored it but when did you start realizing like, oh my God, I can understand money because numbers are easy yeah. to understand money and science STEM stuff that, that blows my mind. <laughs> you know, you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Actually, I did not start with math as a way to get into cryptocurrencies and, and, and stocks. It began with my fascination in sports, actually. Oh, okay. um, we used to play fantasy sports with my friends in college. And one of the biggest things that you have to do when you're in fantasy is look at the stats of the player. So you look at the player, you look at their stats, you look at their, their projections, you look at their, their growth, you look at their, uh, what other people say about the, the player. And then you start creating an idea or a profile on this player where, okay, this, this guy, if I get him now when he's young, 21, by the time he's 27, 26 in his prime, he's going to be one of the superstars. And in a way that kind of research and going into and using my math as well, um, looking at players, it was the same way I apply it to stocks nowadays. It's like, is this a good company to buy? And that's, that's what got me into stocks actually getting, understanding how to judge a player by their performance. Mm -hmm moved into judging stocks and cryptocurrencies by their performance. <laughs> yeah. And it just transferred it really easily. Um, and, and of course, with the background engineering and knowing um, how to how to look at numbers in, in paper and stuff like that, that also helped a lot. What was, knowing, your, knowing some what was your first contact with uh, the stock market? Was it stocks? Was it crypto? And who presented you with, with that resource? Yeah, I guess this also comes with being exposed to engineering and technology in college. Um, the first ever contact I had with um, with cryptocurrencies and stocks was in college. 
And it was because one of our teachers who's, he was, um, he was a crypto, he, not a cryptographic, but he was into security. Mm. And he started talking about cryptocurrencies and the way they're secured and distributed systems. And then all of us in the class started looking at cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and, and, and Ethereum. And then we know we can start putting some money because he already had some money. Our, our teacher already had some money in it. So he said, wow. you guys can invest in them too. And we started investing them in them back in 2017. Uh, we started buying, some of my friends started buying Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum. Of course, not a whole Bitcoin because we were college students, but we were buying $10 here, $10 there, kind of average, average um, dollar cost average. You How much into was it. Bitcoin back then? <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. How much was it? Well, I mean, now it's coming back down. Well, but, yeah, now it's yeah. all, well, I mean, give it, a, give it another 10 grand and maybe it was back when you <laughs> started buying it, you know? Yeah. But I'm pretty sure you what got Bitcoin if ten dollars and it was worth what n- maybe not even I a thousand eight thousand yeah no it, it was it was a little bit over six thousand seven thousand at the time uh, in 2017 and then it grew to twenty thousand and then it crashed again in 2018 so yeah. <laughs> it's like a roller coaster with cryptocurrencies you're always gonna have that euphoria moment where they're gonna be insanely valuable and people are gonna be going in like crazy. And that's when, you know, you know, the near, the end is coming and everything's going to come back down. Mm, so when did you start realizing or how much of uh, did you put into crypto before you sold? Before I sold, it was in back in 2017 or like recently? Uh, no, back in 2017. I'm sure like as a college student, you already had, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred dollars in a Bitcoin. Your average was probably like, I don't know, maybe like 11,000. Like 11. Yeah, somewhere around there. Look at yeah. me. I'm so, learning from you. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I think you got this right. I, you pretty much know most of this stuff. Uh-huh. So in a way, yeah, I would say I had a few grand. Because I started buying heavily because, you know, at that time I already, I was, uh, 2017, I was already working and I was, I already had graduated. So I was uh, doing uh, my master's at the time. So at that time I was doing my master's and was, that's when my master professor of, of securities and distributed systems, he told us about crypto. So at that time I started to put 100 every month into Bitcoin and wow. Ethereum. So I started with those two only because those two were the more secure and the only ones that you could actually kind of see some good trajectory and history in them. And so I started with a hundred a month on Bitcoin and a hundred on Ethereum and little by little, it grew to a few thousand. And by the time it was 2018, which was the early days of 2018, when we saw the, 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 the all time high at the time, everything, I mean, I maybe had like a few 4,000, $5,000 out of a initial investment of like close to, $2,000. So wow. it almost doubled. Yeah, it almost doubled. That's amazing. And then when did you start? So right there, were you just dabbling in crypto or were you already dabbling in stocks? Yeah, that time, uh, that's when I opened my first account in stocks, brokerage accounts. Um, that was my first time I opened Robinhood, actually. I opened Robinhood back in those days and it was just new at that time. No one was doing what Roaming Hood was doing at the time, which is, you know, fractional shares, buy one stock of $1 and they'll give you a stock for free if you invited someone. That was unheard of back in the day. It was the first company to do it. And that's when I began. I remember my first stock that I got for free was the Zynga stock, yeah. uh, if, like the mobile game yeah. thing. 
And that was the first ever stock I ever got for free. And I started buying $1 of, of Apple here and there, $1 of uh, Google here and there. And those were the technology stocks were the only ones that I was buying back in the day. But it was cheap. I was starting to go $1. Mostly I was putting it in crypto, which maybe should have been, I should have been more selective in crypto and put more in stocks back in the day. But in the end, it worked out because uh, recently I was able to sell at a, at a gain from what was back then a loss. Now it became in the last few months, it was definitely a, a better, better position. Yeah. So how when the 2018, uh, I guess, crypto crash happened, because that's when you said it started to collapse. Did you worry and sell or did you already have this whole notion of like, you know what, diamond hands, which diamond hands yeah. are... Um, basically, diamond hands is when you don't sell, you hold on to your <laughs> life. There's like this little saying in crypto, you huddle. Yeah. And it's because somebody mistyped it and he, it pretty much means hold on for dear life. Yeah. So you got to have diamond hands with those, with those cryptocurrencies. But I mean, during those days, I mean, I was, you know, I put a thousand, two thousand now, those two thousand are one thousand and it was four thousand at one point. I'm just gonna not sell now. At a loss and wait, wait it for the long term, see what it does. And maybe something changes, of course. So I left it. I had all my money in Coinbase and Binance at the time, which uh, I mean, at that time, they were not that risky mm -hmm. compared to how they are now. They're actually very risky. But yeah, I mean, I didn't worry since it wasn't too much money. I didn't miss it. That's another thing. I tried to put us any money that was just extra money that I didn't need to buy or live off of. It was just, you know, spending money that I didn't want to spend. I wanted to put it to work, if anything. So that's what I did. And, you know, I said, you know, I hold, see what happens. And if by the end of 2020, 2022, which was four years after I had bought them, I'll, I'll sell if, if things don't come back up. When did you sell? Yeah, I actually sold a lot. I would say starting, starting when I saw Bitcoin come back down just a few months ago from 50,000 to 30,000. That's when, you know, at 28, I, I liquidated everything. So I at least had a good doubled over or over doubled in my initial investment, plus some of the money that I had put back in. And then some of it also was also at a loss because I did start buying a lot more in the 40s and 50s. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, I was still up. So I sold, got capital gains loss. I had to pay for those. Um, and, you know, in a way it was okay. I, I needed to get out just because... I do see some weaknesses in crypto in the future, mm -hmm. as well as the stock market, at least if things continue the way that they are. So I wanted just to play it safe. And while I'm still up, sell and wait for the best, best time to buy again. Yeah. And then uh, with that money, was that what allowed you to buy the home? Hola, ¿qué tal? Te saluda José Quintero y espero que estés disfrutando de este capítulo de Echale Parques. Pero vamos a platicar de un tema que te va a encantar porque si eres padre de familia, si eres estudiante o si eres maestro o maestra, pon mucha atención porque te quiero contar sobre la beca nacional de hacer de McDonald's. Desde 1985 McDonald's ha otorgado más de 33 millones de dólares en becas y esta vez no va a ser la excepción 
inversión, porque este año McDonald's está dando 500 mil dólares en becas y puedes ganarte una beca de hasta 100 mil dólares, pero ahora más que nunca ayudar a estudiantes hispanos a hacer más que las generaciones anteriores, a hacer más de lo que creían ser capaz y hacer más de lo que pensaban que era posible por sí mismos, por su gente, por su cultura y por un mejor futuro. Para más información sobre la beca nacional Hacer de McDonald's, visita mcdonalds.com diagonal hacer. Aprende más porque puedes ganar una de 30 becas. Yeah, yeah. No, actually I, I sold almost, I would say, 80% of my portfolio back last year in 2021, at the end of last year, to buy the home that I'm living now. So, yeah, it, it helped buy the home, put it as a down payment and make payments on it and renovate it a little bit. Question. So you didn't have to, did you put down what, 3.5% on the home? Did you put down 20% of the home? Like, how much money are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, no, I put 5% because I okay. got a conventional loan, which is, uh, it's a little bit lower in interest rates and it's, it's, um, its qualifications are a little bit less, uh, less demanding. For an FHA, which is the one you're mentioning, which mm -hmm. is the 2.5 APR, you need, you know, to make a certain amount of money, which I was no longer, I was above that threshold, um, and you get a higher interest rate. So it's actually a little bit more expensive for whoever gets it. But in the end, buying a home is still a good investment. Yeah. But I got 5%. I put around $40,000 of, of the money that I had in, in, that I sold in stocks and in my 401k. Uh, and then I had some extra other money that I had, which I used to do some painting. So we repainted the house from the inside, uh, replaced carpets to, to vinyl flooring. Uh, also updated some of the piping because some of the piping was pretty old. So I, I tried to oh buy a good value home, which was going to uh -huh. be a, a fixer upper. So I, I got it for lower than what it was worth at the time. But um, it, it, now it's worth a lot more just because of the changes. Yeah. So when you're first starting to buy a home, how is that conversation with your parents? Are you guys already living in a home? Are you guys renting out? And here comes their son. I'm ready to buy a home. Are they like, ¿De dónde tienes ese dinero? Where, where's it coming from? Like, are they curious? They, they, they were definitely curious. One thing uh, I guess pushed me to start looking for a home was because my parents were uh, at that time living in a a Section 8 housing. So all of our lives we lived in Section 8 housings. Like thank God for that because it lowered our, our our monthly rate when we were younger. But of course at that time my parents already had we were making above the threshold of Section 8. I was making a lot more money because of as an engineer. And I couldn't live with them anymore because if I would live with them, they would be over, way over the tipping point for, for, for Section 8 housing. So um, they were told in the last, I think it was 2018 or 20, 2020. In 2020, they were told either you, you move or we're going to have to evict you because you are uh, way past the threshold of, um, of living in a Section 8 housing. So, uh, you know, I told my parents, well, you know, I've been investing and I've been buying. Like, hey, I have a little uh, thing I, going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have a little thing going on here. And, you know, you, you guys, I, I, I could find a home for all of us because I was renting already with my girlfriend. So I lived with my girlfriend uh, and we were paying close to 2000 in Long Beach. Uh, that's, you know, kind of like the standard for a one bedroom studio in downtown of Long Beach. So I was paying 2000 a month. My parents, because of, it was Section 8 housing, were paying another 
$1,000 a month. So in a way, it was already, you know, we can come together. I could pay the the, the, the down payment for the home and we all live in one home. Uh-huh. And we just split the, the mortgage in half, my parents and I, with my brother. So that's what we did. I found a home. I sold my investments. And of course, they were surprised because they, they had no idea that, um, that you could make, at least you can make money with cryptocurrencies or yeah. stocks or, or stuff like that. That is something, you know, that as an immigrant, you don't really, they don't really teach you. You come from another country that you have no idea how the economy and, and financials work in and, and how, how you can actually make money in, in, um, in investing in the U.S., so that was one of the things that I slowly I've been teaching them. So they opened their their four hundred one k with I helped them set it up. I helped awesome. them set up their savings accounts with the um, with the the, um, the IRA, so the Roth IRAs. And now with their jobs, you know, they're able to at least like live a little bit more comfortable. So having that knowledge and explaining it to them and giving it to them, and now. I'm teaching my mom how to use like TikTok and, yeah. and try to see if she can become a, a little bit more like famous and start making yeah, money off of that. Money through that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the dream of for everybody. Yeah. So did you and your dad start looking for a house or was it all you and the house? Is it under both your names or is it yours? Yeah, so it, it was me looking for the house. So I did most of the home touring. Uh, my parents sometimes came with me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they gave it their opinion. But, of course, it was up to me to decide since I was going to pull the trigger in the end. Um, for sure, it was, I wanted to get a home that would fill all of us. So I was able to find one in Long Beach. Not the cheapest, but also uh, not that bad for what we got in a city like Long Beach. So yeah. it was definitely a diamond in the rough to be able to find it at, at that price and for the, the size. Um, and... Yeah, it was mostly just me putting it in and I bought it and it's in my name. Of course, I want to make it both my parents' name because in the end, I believe it was it will be this home will be my parents' home. Yeah. Um, because I want to just move out and go to another state. And that's what we're planning with my girlfriend. So we are going to be moving out of here pretty soon. And my parents will be the ones taking, taking care of the house. I will be still paying. And of course... The goal is to get my side of the home rented out. And mm-hmm. that also becomes part of their, my parents' uh, uh, additional uh, income. Additional income. And how they is, will hopefully retire soon. How is that? Uh, was that ever a burden? I feel like it's a burden and not a, a burden we don't mind carrying. Like looking after our parents and making sure that they're okay. Because here where I live, my parents bought this house in 1996. I don't think not knowing, you know, the possibilities or the importance of having a house. Uh, Because, I mean, we lived in L.A. for such a long time. My aunts and uncles, they lived in apartments all the time. And we were kind of forced to move to the Inland Empire uh, because of my dad's job. Because at some point he was commuting 40 minutes and... It was like, hey, there's yeah. this opportunity to buy a home and it's half an acre. And now in retrospect, you think like, whoa, that's huge. And we built ADUs or we have additional ADUs. But at the end of the day, yeah. like now uh, they live in Mexico, they come and go. But that additional income um, from the ADUs is for them. But we still have to carry the responsibility to make sure that they're okay Any yeah. Damages that need to be done, any repairs that need to be done, like we have to handle them. Did you yeah. 
or do you feel any type of, I don't want to call it even burden, but like sense of responsibility to take care of your parents and make sure they're okay in the longevity aspect of it? You know, it is definitely something that I wanted to do because I, I saw, you know, my parents suffer. Uh-huh. And at least from what they did, you know, coming to another country that they had no idea how if they were going to make it, you know, it was like a, sh- a, a shot in the dark if they could, if they could like make a living here. And once I was able to do it and have the privilege of, you know, being able to support my parents in that way, that's when I decided to, you know, even if it's a burden, even if it costs me a little bit, even if mm-hmm. it uh, de- sets me back a couple of years in my own plan. I want to do it for them just because they did it for me when I was uh, when I was young, when I was in college. You know, they took the burden of of getting these personal loans to get me through school. Yeah. And thing with my brother, you know, they tried their best to 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 get him out to get him to go to school. And and it was for me it was mostly like I had to do it. Then like should I do it? Because there was yeah. no one else that could have done it for them. So I, I decided to be the the one that would. Like be supporting them at least in their older years. Yeah, and you but believe- yeah, definitely it takes a little bit of a of, of um, sacrifice. I would say, yeah, because we yeah, have to it, put it, our life on hold, you know, to a certain yeah. extent. Um, because I mean, at the end of the day, you set the foundation for them, and that ADU that you build. And I've been to your house, and it's beautiful, literally beautiful. Oh, what you guys did, you. redesigned in the back, um, is going to definitely provide for extra income and then just setting up a 401k and IRA for them. I mean, not a lot of people know the importance of having one and why this should set one up. So if you could please just go into the importance of the Roth IRA, RIA and a 401k, the difference and the importance of both. Correct. Yeah. So basically a, let's start with the, with the, the, the 401k. That depends, of course, if you're employed. 401ks are employee-sponsored accounts. Uh, they have a limit of how much you got to put in into it, of course, every year. Why? Because they are tax-exempt, meaning that any money you put into the, the 401k and you invested in the 401k into the, 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 four, the, fifth, the S&P 500 or in the, the technology index or in the total stock market index, all of that money, as it grows, it becomes tax-free as long as you um, retire with it. Of course, if you take it take it out before you're 59 years of age, then it, it, you get taxed the total amount. A lot. <laughs> but, I did it. Leave it there. I did it when yeah. I left uh, the Cal State San Bernardino. I was working as an employee there and I had to move to LA. Um, and I was only working, I had been working two, three years at Kelsey San Bernardino and I moved to LA. I was like, dude, I'm broke. I'm making minimum wage. I'm making $15 an hour living in a garage, uh, you know, with no insulation. I have no money. Well, the only thing that I knew because I would get them in the mail is like, oh, this is how much money you have in your 401k. And I remember I did the paperwork and voila, lo and behold, like, hey, there's a, because you're not 59 and a half, there's a 10% tax and then there's <laughs> yeah. a state tax and then there's a penalty tax. And you're like, at the end of it, it was like 25% gone. Jesus, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pero bueno. So, <laughs> you yeah, so that's, you know, that's the dangers of, uh, of um, I mean, in a way it's, it's good to have those accounts because uh, you, you can have your money grow, but it's always a danger that oh, you, you cannot use it unless you get less than what you put in in the end if you take it out early. 
But um, of course, it is good to have if you need, you know, money in your later years and you need to, you know, uh, once you graduate, I mean, not graduate, but once you retire, <laughs> then you're going <laughs> to, once you graduate from life. I know, you know? basically. <laughs> so when you, once you graduate from life, then you can take it out and, you know, live in a comfortable way. Because the good thing is that money now is tax-free. You didn't have to pay any penalties on it. And you can use it for whatever you want, medical expenses, traveling, um, daily routine of buying and selling food and stuff like that. So you can use it for anything. Um, but yeah, it is a savings account in a way because you're saving for your retirement. And it is something that I wanted my parents to have because they benefit from it and they will retire soon. So they need that in their lives. Yeah. And what about an IRA? Yeah, so the IRS, the good thing is, you know, that they are not sponsored, they're, they're not sponsored by an employee. So you as an individual can open one without having to be employed. You could be unemployed or self-employed and have an IRA. Compared to what a 401k is, you have to be employed by somebody that provides an IRA for you. So not every job is going to give you one and you won't be able to apply for it if you don't have a job. So that, that, that approves for it. So that makes it more accessible to anybody in the U.S. You can open an account for free in any company like Charles Schwab, Fidelity, and even um, even um, Robinhood has it now. Of yeah. course, you know you you need to make do your own research before opening any of these accounts. You have to make sure that, you know you love the platform, you like where it's going, and the future of the of it looks fine for you to put your money in there. Because in the end, that money is going to stay there until you retire which is 50 years if you're 20, you know. I mean, no, 30 years if you're 20. So yeah. you need to watch out where you're putting it. And then what are the benefits of an IRA? IRA? Oh, the same thing as a 401k. You know, you're tax exempt. You have, uh, you're available, you can put up to, depending on which IRA you get, you get the traditional or the Roth. With the traditional, you get, you put the money and you get a stipend at the end. Of course, if you meet the qualifications for the, for the IRS, meaning you can get, you can put six thousand every year, and you can get those six thousand back in a stipend in your IRS uh, in your tax. Uh, what they call it tax redemption. Oh. Um, of course, like you have to make deduction? a certain amount. I think thirty thousand if you're. If you're. Oh, I would. I could get them as a tax deduction. Like you can yeah, six- if it's a traditional. Ah, I yeah. got to talk to my accountant with this. I'm pretty sure he's explained it, but I, I again, the the reason why we love your your website, your Instagram and I'm going to plug it in, Financial Predator, um is because you simplify things. Like, oh, okay, you know what? They're ta- tax free. You can use them as a tax deduction if they're a traditional IRA. Mm-hmm. Versus a regular, because then, you know, gente nos confunde and you're just like, you know what, I'm now discouraged, <laughs> yeah. especially as Latinos, así somos. Okay, so that's good to know. Uh, no, let's talk about the the housing market. ¿Cómo la ves ahorita? Because a lot of people obviously in 2020 took advantage and started buying uh, in the beginning of 2020, like yourself, because you saw cheap homes, but then you saw this reverse where it was like oh shoot an increase of value of home and people were still buying at ridiculous values but now it's kind of slowed down and us millennials who haven't bought a home are like wait one how much should i be saving up like and then two when is the right time yeah you know in a way 
Um, I mean, it all depended on what the the Federal Reserve did back in 2020 due to, you know, what we, the emergency of the, the pandemic that we had. They had to find a way to stimulate the economy so that it wouldn't crash. And that's what they did. They lowered interest rates to zero. And that led what you could buy in pre, pre-COVID, you know, pre-COVID, you could buy a home at a 5% interest rate, 4% interest rate, depending on your credit score, um, became... 2%, 3% interest. So it was half or lower, or almost less than half than what you, you would have paid in interest just because of what the Federal Reserve did. And that's what many people took advantage on in 2020, 2021, and early 2022. And that's when I, you know, I decided to also you pull the trigger in the home because I, if I did it then, um, compared to now, I just if I would have bought the same home today, at the interest rates of today, I would be paying an extra $1,000 a month just in interest rates. And that's not something yeah. that you can't negotiate now or like these banks or people will be like, nah, 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 Yeah, no, at this point, they're set. Um, yeah. You can try and negotiate a couple points here and there in lower interest rates, but you have to be an excellent, uh, an excellent credit score. You have to have a very high uh, down payment, maybe more, close to 20%, if anything. And you have to be able to uh, show that you can pay high amounts on a, on a monthly basis. You, you, you have to get a lower uh, term. So like a 10-year or 20-year instead of a 30-year mortgage. Damn, just so I can get those same interest rates that yeah. were given in the beginning or during the 2020. Uh, um, yeah, basically. Wow. Okay, so let's talk about homes. What is your prediction, personal prediction, for 2023 yeah. on home buying. Yeah, you know, this and, and this is one thing that I talked to you guys, of course, in the group of group chat, like what I can kind of see happening. Of course, I don't have a crystal ball, you know, I cannot uh, predict what's going to happen, but I can kind of give an assessment on how interest rates are going. And as long as the Federal Reserve have, has these high interest rates, uh, the amount of buyers will decrease. The amount of people with spending power will decrease because as the in- interest rates go up, the credit car- credit card interest go up, the interest rates for buying a car go up, the interest rates for holding an investment mm-hmm. go up. So or for holding a loan keep going up. So if you have if you're somebody who has lots of loans that are variable interest, especially businesses, business businesses by definition uh, cannot get a fixed interest. Like for example, if you're a real estate developer and you buy land, that land has a variable interest. It goes mm-hmm. according to what the Federal Reserve says. So the more interest rates go up, these this, uh, developers have to pay higher price for building a home or for holding that land. So that leads to developers having to, you know, like pull back at the market and be like, you know what, I'm not going to build a home or I'm not going to buy this land or I'm not going to buy these other homes to flip and renovate because the amount of holding these homes becomes becomes more expensive. And who knows if there's going to be a buyer at the end of the day once the home is mm-hmm. built and once I've renovated the home enough to be able to sell it at market price, if anything, or at least of what I paid. So the chances of it that we can see a pullback in prices in homes and, and apartment and, and condos and all these things is going to be it, it's pretty high. Uh, of course, we need to wait what the Federal Reserve does because uh, they could change tune anytime and we can go back to lower interest rates. But until then, we can still see pain in the housing market. What is um, things that we need to be looking forward this week? 
this week, yeah, well, we had the FOMC meeting, which is when the Federal Reserve, all the, the officials of the Federal Reserve, which is the central bank of the U.S., they all get together and decide, are we going to keep on raising rates? Are we going to stay neutral? Or are we going to lower rates? And that is what's going to happen on Wednesday, this coming month, this coming week. And they're going to decide. And by prediction, not prediction, but by what people are thinking that may happen and many economists think is going to happen since we have a lower CPI print that happened back last month. If this CPI print that's coming, which is coming on Tuesday, today, I'm it's just, also lower. We're recording this on Saturday, but it's being released yeah. Tuesday. Oh, so, yes, yes, yes. Oh, gotcha, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's, <laughs> like good. it's just, today. Yeah, it's today. today. And you probably already heard it. Obviously, I'm, I usually release the episodes Tuesday mm. at 8 p.m., but I'm going to make sure this episode uh, is dropping if you're listening to it at 6 a.m. on Tuesday. <laughs> you should already oh, yeah, know the yeah, CPI that's, that's number. Happens, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So, keep in mind the CPI number that's going to be that was already released um, today yeah. and then tomorrow the uh, federal Powell is speaking whether or not, I mean, or how much he's raising interest rates because we know he's going to raise interest rates. We just don't know by how many basis points. If it's uh, the right. same, which is 75 basis points that has been occurring these past couple of uh, months, maybe I think like two or three, or if he's going to drop it, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, um, <laughs> yeah, you got, you got it on point, <gasps> on point. <laughs> right, so that's, <laughs> so that's definitely yeah no, i'm telling you you, you and, and jose you share a lot of information to to the people which in the group chat they love you know and everybody tells me you know like oh i'm glad that everybody shares information and, and everybody builds off of each other and, and that's yeah. the beauty of that group chat so yeah definitely you pretty much are on point point on that so yeah we are waiting on what the what of course Jerome Powell and his his federal officials are going to decide is it is it still prudent to continue with the high interest rates because we're going we're raising rates at the fastest and the highest pace we've ever done in the history of the United States there's never been ever this fast raising of rates or at this pace ever in the since since raising rates became a thing mm -hmm. which was in the early 70s so ever since then this is the first time it's ever happened like this. So um, is it going to be 75? Is it going to be 50? And a lot of people are fighting. Well, it all depends on, of course, the today's CPI numbers. Mm -hmm. if, if the CPI number is lower than expectations, then we can see, um, yeah, if John Paul go for that 50 basis point hike, which is going to start the pivot or what people say, they call it the pivot of the Federal Reserve. When instead of following what they were saying they were doing before, they break from the trend, and they now go to a lower uh, ex expectation of what the terminal rate is going to be, which is when they end the interest rate hikes. So, so we could see like a pivot in stocks as well increase just because the trust in in the government is like picking back up and they're like, all right, you know what? We can start investing because it's now starting to, these interest rates are starting to slow down. Yeah, yeah, you got it on point again. <laughs> yeah, basically... <laughs> yeah, so basically we are, if the Fed does the pivot, then the markets will pivot too. There's going to be this like euphoria or at least this happiness that we're seeing this change from tune in the Federal Reserve. And stocks are going to go up, crypto is going to go up, uh, bonds are going to, at least bond yields will come down, but bond prices will go up. 
Mm. Um, and we can start seeing a little bit more of a um, like a resolution to what this bottom could be. Maybe we're reaching the bottom or we already touched the bottom or maybe there's more pain coming because nobody knows what's going to happen four or five months from now because the economy is still in flux. But at least in the short term, we're going to see these huge spike in prices because this is what people are expecting, which is a lower interest rate hike and inflation to keep going down because it all depends, of course, on CPI releasing today early and saying that we are lower than what we expect. Now, if the opposite does happen, if CPI is higher, we could see more pain in the short term as well as the long term because that means that what the Federal Reserve is doing is not enough and they're going to have to continue. And maybe if CPI is still higher, then expectations, they could go still for 75 basis point hike yeah. and raise their terminal rate and everything could crash again. Okay. So last week, one thing that we saw was for the past two, three weeks, the trend for stock prices was going up. So we were like, yeah, like we, a lot of people were confident with their stocks. But then we saw, I think it was the jobless claims number um, mm-hmm. kind of. I, 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 this is where I get confused. I don't know if it slowed down or it stayed the same, but can you explain why it is important for the government, for the unemployment rate to be higher, right? Is it higher? Is it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they wanted it to be higher. So you got it. You got it right again. So oh. Wait, did <laughs> yeah, I'm using my you, only brain scoreboard and how's going to have point, 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 you know? I swear my neurons always están funcionando because sometimes I, I mean, I text you all the time and I'm like, dude, is this yeah. what this means or is this right? Because I swear, I don't know. Sometimes I get it. Sometimes I don't. No, no, you're good. You, you pretty much <laughs> get it all the time. So yeah, no, just like how you say, we need in a way, uh, employment to go down because what they were saying and what pretty much what people are are looking at the numbers and the data, there's more jobs available than there are workers. Mm. And when that is the thing, then in a way, workers have a little bit more power and that's good. You know, we want workers to have power, but we don't want them to become too powerful to that there is a a uh, price, wage price spiral. Mm. (laughs) There we go, the wage price spiral. And what that is, is... Wages keep going up and that leads people to have more money where they can buy more things. And that leads, since we people are buying more things, that leads to inflation and, and, and a shortage of products that uh, in a way, you know, works as supply and demand. The less products there are, the higher prices are going to be. And that's what the Federal Reserve needs to fight and destroy in order to kill inflation, in order to end it. And, and in a way, it's a bad thing that they, we're going to see more unemployment and because that's what's causing uh, higher rates are causing higher unemployment because uh, all of these companies, they have loans, they have debts, they have all these investments that are losing value and are, they have to pay higher rates in interest or they have to, more, they have to pay more in order to, to maintain those loans. And that's leading them to lose revenue, that's leading them to lose um, the bottom line, and that's causing all these businesses to, you know, have to liquidate employees. So what they want to do is keep raising rates to the point where we are at least a 4.5 on employment in the U.S. Right now, currently, we are 3.6, 3.7, according to the the last jobs number. But we did see that that employees are still getting raises. Uh, so, and that's what the Federal Reserve doesn't want to see. And that's why the stock market fell a little bit, just like how you mentioned, where we saw this, you like really nice, like uptrend in the stock yeah. market in the S&P and these stocks. And then all of a sudden we hit a wall and it started coming down again. And that's because of that, 
employee employee employees number and unemployment number that was higher. No, the employment was lower than expected, but the actual jobs were paying more than expected. So mm-hmm. we saw this little like we did. That was not what we wanted to see. Yeah. Okay. I want to go ahead and um, talk a little bit about the essentials. So if somebody doesn't know anything about the stock market, if if people want to start investing or getting a little bit more control of their money, your, your like top five or top three um, tips, just because I want to wrap it up. Ya sé que tienes tu tiempo, but before you give us our, uh, your tips, I know I've been mentioning the financial predator a lot, but his actual Instagram is Morris Galvez FP. So you guys can go and follow him because he has really great information. And, uh, and uh, you're probably like, oh, pero a lo mejor no me interesa todo esto del dinero, or I just don't want to get saturated. I kid you not, he simplifies the things, and just by the mere following de seguro te va a aparecer uno de sus videos and maybe you won't see all of them but maybe you'll see one and that one is probably going to be the one that will motivate you to take financial control of your life because it is important that you start doing it now and it's never too late entonces no me vengas que digas al menos que tengas 99 años entonces nah, ahí ya no te puedo ayudar amigo este but definitely Morris Galvez FP but if somebody wants to get started to take control of their finances, what can they start doing? Yeah, no, and I mean, I'm happy to be here. So we could be talking about this for hours. So it is one of the, in a way, it's one of my passions to talk about money. But I love money if there's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, if there is a couple of things, tips that I could give you, you know, it's uh, one, and it's one that I tell everybody is like, you know, uh, like don't listen just to me. And I will always get advice from other people that, you know, are into finance or are in our accountants or our other people, our friends, you know, other brothers like Eddie and everybody else, mm-hmm. you know, who has uh, finance groups um, that always listen to them in a way because everybody has a little bit of good and a little bit of bad. I am not an expert. I've lost money sometimes in the stock market and I've like, I've gained money in the stock market. So it's always like a tit for tat with, with crypto and stocks. But um, yeah, don't, don't just listen to me. Get advice from as many people as possible. Talk to all the people you know that that have uh, that have an idea of what economy and, and businesses and, and, and housing, all these things, that, all these knowledges from different people. And you can start creating a profile or an idea of what you want your investing to be and what kind of tolerance you have and what kind of uh, stocks you want to invest in. And of course, that's, that's one. Then two... I would say always research before you buy a stock or a cryptocurrency. Um, we always see these, you know, news or or, or or posts or people talking about certain stock or cryptocurrency. And, you know, in the end, um, maybe they're wrong, maybe they're not. But from what I've seen and from the experience that I've seen, most of the stocks that a lot of the YouTubers have been talking about online and and especially, you know, uh, uh, the cryptocurrency era, uh, or, or just a few months ago, you know, we had one of the biggest crashes, which was FTX. Uh, I was one of the people that was telling, you know, you could put your money in FTX. It looks safe. And a lot of people were fooled by by what FTX was doing, I myself included, you know. And, and that's when it comes to like, always do your own research, always find out if this is something that you want to put your money in. Don't just listen to anyone. Always like find out if this is the right platform for you, if this this is the right technique for you. This is the right uh, stuff for you. So always, always do your own research on that. And I think third, 
And this is the biggest one, I believe. It's, you know, get informed and educated in the economy because what's going to happen in the coming years, especially if things keep going the way that they are, we could have maybe yeah one more rally to end the year. A CPI is great and everything, but I then so. we're going to start seeing the cracks. Yeah. <laughs> then we might start seeing the cracks in the economy. So 2023 is not going to be, or it's definitely going to be a transformative year in the stock market, housing market, and crypto market. So we're definitely going to see a lot of uh, bleeding, probably hurting. I know I've talked to you before in the past on some of the stocks that I've had, and you're like, you know what, uh, mortgage debt securities. Like, obviously, we may see a recession coming up, especially in the stock market, I mean, in the housing market. So maybe those won't be the most valuable um, stocks to currently have in 2023. Uh, I think I have an issue with, and maybe a lot of people do, and uh, I'm learning, you know, loving your stock so much or your portfolio so much that you're afraid to let it go, meaning to sell. You know, even though you're gotcha. selling at a good price and you're selling at a capital gains, um, that that is also sometimes hard you're like i've worked so hard for my six stocks in tesla or in apple <laughs> even though i'm you know at the end of the day we're in the stock market to make money so if we sell you know if you built it once you could build it again so that's what i'm trying to slowly learn um or unlearn, you know, to not fall in love with the stocks. Otra cosa que siempre nos has dicho, you know, if you have debt, uh, pay it all off, you know, your credit card debt, your car debt, um, you know, that way you are ready and able to, if the housing market crashes and if that's something that you're looking into, to be prepared for. Yeah, no, that is, and, and, and it's one of the dangers that we as as a country going into a recession are, are, you know, in danger of having too much debt. And we are maybe the most indebted country when it comes to per capita uh, in credit cards. Hi. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I know, I, well, I, I'm, I'm like, hi, pero no, I only have like $600 in credit card debt, which is <laughs> yeah, no. nothing. No, you're <laughs> fine. As long as you pay it every month and you get rid of them as soon as you can, then you're fine. You can, you can, I use credit cards for everything and it's, you know, yes. I get points with them. Same. I'm able to travel with them. So they're not bad. They are bad if you Misuse leave them. that money there. And you miss the payments. Yeah. <laughs> so you just got to learn to use them correctly and you, you're fine. They're not evil. You just got to learn to use them correctly. You know which one I just yeah, got? Yeah, we are going to. I just, sorry. I just got the Amex Platinum. And yeah. everybody was, oh, I know, I, I, everybody's like, oh, like, what is it? What is it? And then they ask you like, oh, how much is the annual fee? And you tell them the annual $600. fee, $695. Yeah. And they're like, what? You're an idiot. What do you mean? And I'm like, hold up, hold up. Do you know of all the benefits that this card has? The, right. you know, yeah. like the points that you give back. And this year, obviously I started my entertainment company, which is Echale Entertainment LLC. So it is also my business card. Podcast, which way. is also yeah, my podcast it. right uh but it's also like <laughs> stuff that i do as a, a social media person etc cetera, etc cetera. uh but i use it also as a business card so that's where all my business mm -hmm. transactions are at. so mm -hmm. anyways i'm doing all that but yes you have to learn how to use a credit card or if not it'll learn how to use you and abuse you yeah <laughs> yeah you'll be definitely abused by it because uh the thing is if rates keep going up 
credit card rates are going to keep going up and you're going to be paying more and more and more in interest rates. I think right now we're paying 30% wow. annually in a debt in a credit card. So it's it's insane. Yeah. It's insane. And then finally, um, capital gains versus losses. Mm-hmm. Because how does having crypto and how ha- does having stocks affect my taxes at the end of the day? Because a lot of people are like, oh, no, no, quiero que me cobren en los los taxes and los impuestos. Right. How is that all into it? Because right. Uncle Sam always wants to cut and we out here trying to not give <laughs> Uncle Sam our hard work money. Yeah, no, you want to try as much as you can to, of course, legally. You don't do it illegally, That's but to legally pay as less taxes as possible. Yeah. <laughs> so the idea is that you can buy a stock, of course. You hold it for a long time, you sell it later, and you only pay taxes on the gains. So that is the same thing with cryptocurrency. Now, what you can do, and which is uh, a lot of people do, is like you can buy uh, a stock in a tax advantage account, like mm-hmm. a 401k, IRA, health savings account. You know, there's a bunch of them. And you don't have to pay taxes on the gains or the money you put in or anything. So at the end of the day, you can get that money tax-free. But if you are into buying stocks in individual accounts, just want to make sure that the stock you're buying is at least, you know, worth it enough to gain that gain value, even if it has a dividend. You know, you don't want to buy a stock that pays you a dividend or pays you a monthly uh, dividend if it's going to keep going down through the years. Yeah, um, That's one of the dangers that you want to watch out to. It could be a value trap. Um because you're buying maybe a good stock that pays you, yeah, maybe $4 a year, but the stock goes down $3, $4 every year for the next four to five years. So you're actually losing money and then you're getting taxed on the dividend. So you're mm. not actually getting that amount. How much do so, you get taxed on dividends? Or I think, it's, I think it depends on the individual, but from what I remember, I think it's 20%. 20% of the dividend you get taxed on. So if Depending I made, on your bracket, of course. So, okay. So if, per se, just going on that 20%, if I made $2,000 in dividends, I would have to pay $200 back to the IRS out of those $2,000. You would be that, closer to 400 yeah. See, that's why you're the math person. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. That was 10%. No, no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> oh, I don't get a fucking full star yeah. on my freaking whiteboard. <laughs> Offer a freaking no, math no, you're question. Fine, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. But I mean, it all depends on dividend, on your tax bracket, of course. If you make over 80%, I think the, because the, it counts as income. Mm-hmm. So any dividend, it counts as income. So you get taxed as income. Um, so I guess if you make 40,000, you get 12% tax, I think. Mm-hmm. And if you make over 30,000 to 80, then you pay 15. Now, if you pay, if you're over hundred K, I think you paid over 20%. So uh, yeah, so it, it all depends on your bracket. And then can you, you also offset yeah. your losses? If you're like, let's say if I made a hundred thousand dollars and, uh, that's where my bracket was, but I mm-hmm. bought stocks and, but I sold them at a loss. Well, that difference, mm-hmm. like, oh my God, I've already lost $4,000. Now, technically, yeah. I've made 96, right? Or is that how it works? Correct, yeah. Yeah, so Get let's say you, in here. capital gains, let's, yeah, no, you're good, you're good. In, <laughs> in capital gains, let's say the gains on the on the initial amount is 100000 So that is what you would pay, or at least that would be the amount to count for in taxes. If you sell, let's say you put you put a hundred thousand and it became two hundred thousand, that means you have a hundred thousand in gains. Now, if in another stock you have, like just like you mentioned, you have you put a hundred thousand 
in that stock, but it becomes 80,000. Later, you can sell that 80,000 and then you would only pay taxes on the 100 capital gains minus that 20,000 that you lost. So it becomes 80,000 later. So then you pretty much can only pay those 80,000, those only those 80,000 in capital gains yeah. will count as a tax 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 amount. So or this at least the, the, the tax will be changed. So this last week and maybe even December well not December 31st but maybe the 29th cuz that's the last day yeah. that the stock market which is Friday will be open be, yeah. cuz well no 30 yeah thir- no yeah, 30th 30th I don't know what the calendar looks like. The 30th. I think the 30th because the first is on a Sunday. Oh, okay. Then. Yeah. So yeah, if the 30th, yeah, because yeah, so the 30th is the last day. So you want to make those moves the last day because of course, if you get to, to do it next year, then they don't account for 2022 taxes. Mm-hmm. You have to do it um, every every year. You have to rebalance. I mean, that's, and this is one of the good things about rebalancing at the end of the year. You can, you can find out which Stocks have been down and which ones are up. You sell the ones that are down. You look at how much you have in, in the capital gains. You sell those. And that way you can cut your taxes to zero yeah. if, if it works. And you can even get some money back. Like let's say the IRS every year, by the way, this is, this is a law in the IRS if you're an investor. Every year, if you put, if you lose $3,000, you can get those $2,000 back as a IRS stipend, of course, you have to, you know, sell those stocks that are down and buy them a month later if you want to buy them again. If not, then you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. But you have, you, you can sell it today and buy it the 10th of January of next year again if yeah. you want to. But, um, but of course, you have to wait a month for that to work. You have to, it's called the wash sale rule. You have to wait 30 days after selling the stock that it's you're down on in order to put that as your taxes as a loss and you get those $3,000 back in, in your taxes. Yeah. Well, there's so many layers that we could keep peeling um, when it comes to money, when it comes to talking about the economy. I definitely don't want to bombard everybody with a lot of information and I definitely want to push them more to your page, uh, which is Morris Galvez FP on Instagram. Do You also, you also have TikTok, YouTube. Uh, what else? Plug yourself mm-hmm. in. <laughs> nice yeah so we also have uh, well i mean it's just me because we're but i am also the producer the editor and the, and the economist uh-huh. but uh, i count myself as a team at this point yeah. but yeah we also have tiktok which is the same one morris galvez fp m-o-r-i-s g-a-l-b-e-z-f-p because people sometimes think i have two r's in my name I but i only have one too. r I don't yeah. <laughs> yeah. i know many, many people it is the it actually is the norm in my name to have two r's but I only have one. How my parents decided to write it in, in my birth certificate. But, um, and I also have a, a, a YouTube, which is Finance Spreader. You can find me as, as Finance Spreader right there. And um, I'm still uploading more videos. Of course, I'm working on a, a set of videos to teach people the basics on, on options, which, uh, you know, that's another thing that we did yes. some more layers to peel. Eso se <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's another thing. And of course, I have an entertainment page. Like I'm trying to see if we can we can start like stories and confessions in Spanish. So for todos los que hablan español, uh, there's a, a Tell Me Chisme, at Tell Me Chisme, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. 
But yeah, that's pretty much that's, uh, that's all for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, definitely. I mean, I, this is probably one of many conversations that we're going to have here on the podcast just because I definitely think in our Comunidad, there needs to be more financial awareness. And there's a lot of people like yourself, like Eddie, like Luz uh, from In Luz We Trust, who are doing the work of, of God, literally teaching our comunidad about money management. Um, what was I going to say? If anybody is listening, if they have specific questions or if they would like us to do another episode uh, answering specific questions, please let us know. Mándanos un mensaje, whether it be at Echale Podcast on Instagram or at Morris Galvez FP, and then we'll definitely do another episode and just answering questions, specific questions, because I think it is important. Like I said, I want to reiterate, no hay... Necesidad de ser pobre. <laughs> okay, you know, yeah, we were born broke, but that doesn't mean we got to die broke. Yeah, no, you could you could be born broke, but you know, people say it's up to you to not die broke. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Sí, bueno, pero no. muchísimas gracias, Morris, por Morris. No, no puedo decir Morris porque there's no No, no, <laughs> no, no, thank you so much, Jose, for, for, for you know, plugging me in in the, in the podcast and for being there. You know, we, we've known each other for years, actually, and it's, I'm happy you've, you've reached so much. I'm happy how you're, you're going out there and getting it, bro. And like, it's, it's insane seeing you grow and, and succeed at doing it. It's, 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 it's inspiring. And, you know, I, I pretty much, in a way, I look up to you in that way. Thank you, brother. And I think uh, it's the opposite. You know what? Like, we're both hustling, but I definitely admire you as well and I look up to you because obviamente tú ves acá you know working entertainment and whatnot but at the end of the day I think anybody working in any sector wants to be financially independent and when I think of financially independent people I think about you I think about Eddie and I'm pretty sure there's still things that you would wish to improve or you want to improve on and you probably look at a to uh, look up to other people and see where they're at. And you're trying to reach those goals. So thank you for inspiring us uh, who are listening, who follow you, uh, because we definitely look uh, at you and at Eddie and at Luz as people, mentors in this field and who we trust, who we know are not perfect, but who we know are going to lead us in the direction that we want to go. No, no, thank you. And I mean, those are awesome kind of words, bro. Definitely. <laughs> and we're both working hard at this. And it's definitely hard. It, yeah. it's, it's, it's not easy, but uh, we, we're, we're going to get there. And, and, and I mean, it's an inspiration for people to like, in a way, like see that not people that look like them, you know, because we're, you exactly. know, like we're both Latino, brown Latinos. We're trying to get make our way in the USA. And hopefully, you know, this is like, if I, I wish... My nine-year-old self would have seen me and I feel like, you know, I can do lots of things. And I bet the same with you. Like yeah. you, you think about your age and you're like, dang, yeah, my kid, if I was a kid, I would love to see me out there. And I can't wait to teach my kids in the future and be like, yo, there's a chiquito hijo de la chingada. You're going to know the value of like of money. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, desmadrosos desde chiquitos. Desmadrosos, know? pero ahorrativos. <laughs> and they'll know how to invest money. I'm going to charge. You know, yeah. I've always said I'm going to charge them rent um, just so they yeah. know what that means. And it'll, it'll probably yeah. go towards like a their savings account to college or a yeah. college fund or an IRA for them or something like that. Pero that yeah. way 
they know like in esta vida se ganan las cosas in esta vida I'm Uncle Sam in the household so I'm always yeah. going to want a piece of that cut I'm paying you to clean your room a dollar but I'm going to want 25 cents <laughs> yeah no definitely that's actually a good smart idea I actually saw this uh, TikTok of somebody saying you know what I'm for my kids you know as a, as a retirement uh, I'm going to buy them a home they won't live in it I'll rent it out And then once they graduate from high school, you know, uh, if they graduate and they graduate with good grades, I'm going to give it to them as, a, as their 529 plan. You know, they'll be able to live in it and then rent it out to people or whoever. And then that will be their, their college fund. So ah. they'll be able to take a loan on the home and go to school and, or do whatever they want to do. So that's that's another idea. People are, and that's what I was thinking of doing. With, if my kids, you know, if I have kids, who knows yeah. at this point? Yeah. <laughs> my girlfriend wants to have kids. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pero once again, yeah. Morris, muchísimas gracias. Check them out. Morris Galvez FP, Morris mm -hmm. Galvez FP on Instagram. Thank you so much, hermano. I'll catch oh, you in the next episode. Gracias por escuchar Echale Podcast. If you made it this far, I ask of you one thing. If this podcast made you think, reflect, or enter an existential crisis, then share it with me on social media. Nothing would make me happier than knowing that these stories had a real impact. Nos vemos el próximo martes with more stories and más chisme. This was Echale Podcast. Echale Podcast. Echale Podcast.